you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks. This is the Thursday edition, Buck, and uh, we've got a jam-packed show today. Yeah, we're getting right into it. We're going to identify the debate, talk about some of the top players at each position, which guy we like, what are the pros and cons of each player, best role, and where will we play some of these guys that are kind of hybrid players, and then finally, who is the best player that some of these guys watched and scouted when they were at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, we're going to ask some of the players in this draft to scout the players in this draft. Guys like Tanner Lee, Kurt Benkert, and Harrison Phillips, who's the best player they went up against? We'll have their answers a little bit later on in the show, as well as uh, what are the right questions to ask at the combine when you're a scout working uh, with these players? But let's jump in right now, Buck. I want to identify the debate. We've got a couple months leading up to the draft now. There's going to be plenty of player debates, and it's this guy or that guy. Go back to our time in the room. These are the, the longer discussions when you're in that draft room. Some of them are quick and easy and painless. Everybody's in agreement. And then there's some of those toss-up guys. Let's jump through some of those guys right now. Yeah, this is great. This is exactly what happens in meeting rooms across the league. Guys are beginning to kind of size up which is their favorite player. They stand on the table for the guys maybe in their area. This should be fun. All right, here's a couple of them. I got seven down that I think are going to be big debates inside the room. Not saying these guys are the top players. In some cases, they are at their positions, but they're similar, these two guys. Let's start at the corner position. Ohio State's Denzel Ward versus UCF's Mike Hughes. I mean, this is a compelling uh, comparison because I think these are two of the best players at the position, two guys who are smooth, fluid, athletic, and have a lot of versatility. Um, I'll take the Mike Hughes part of the situation. I'll make a case for Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes, to me, is a perfect two-phase player, meaning he can play defense, he can make contributions as a kick or punt returner. He is smooth, he's fluid, he's athletic. I like the versatile techniques that he can employ on the on the corner, whether it's playing off, playing up, bailing out. He is a guy that I think is a plug-and-play player in any system. And when you're looking for corners, you're looking for guys that can get their hands on the ball and maybe deliver big plays. I think Mike Hughes is one of the best ball hawks that we'll see in terms of his ability to play the ball while it's in the air. Yeah, Mike Hughes, maybe – look, I think he's got a chance to be the top corner in this draft. I have Ward as that guy right now. Uh, the concerns on the other side of it, the concerns with Mike Hughes. Got a situation, was at your alma mater at North yep. Carolina, ended up leaving there and going to UCF. So you got to sort out the off-the-field stuff and what transpired there. So do the character study there. I think he's a little bit slight of frame. So, I, you know, the toughness, if you're going to compare the toughness of the two players, I love Hughes' game, but I think Ward gets the check mark when you're talking about tougher. Now, Ward, to me, reminds me of Pac-Man Jones when he was coming out and one of my favorite players that year in that draft class because of his – not only his skills, but his competitiveness, his toughness. You will see him come up and strike people in the run game. Uh, he can play inside. He can play outside. The concerns with him, he's a little undersized. Like, like Pac-Man was coming out, he's listed at 5'10", 191 pounds per the school. We'll see if he checks in. Wouldn't be shocked if he was 5'9 and change at, at Indy. 
But I, I give Ward the slight advantage at this point in time. I want to see these guys move, though, side by side at the combine. Uh, th- that'll be very telling. I think both these guys are elite players. But right now, I lean Ward over Hughes. Yeah, I think that's probably the general consensus at this point. But when we get those guys on the turf, we'll be able to see. I love the Pac-Man Jones comparison for Denzel Ward. Having watched Pac-Man while he was at West Virginia, I think people forget how explosive and dynamic he was when he was coming out of West Virginia. Big-time player. And when I look at Denzel Ward, you're right, the feistiness, the toughness, the grit that he displays when he's on the field, those things are very reminiscent to what I saw from Pac-Man when he was coming out. The thing that I also like about Denzel Ward, I really believe that from day one he's going to be able to line up on the island and be able to hold his own without a lot of help from the safety. And so as the league has continued to evolve and we're seeing more of these teams go to single high safety looks where they're putting corners on the island and asking them to put their hands on receivers at the line of scrimmage, I think Denzel Ward Ward can certainly do that. I think that is an added feather in his cap. These are two really, really good players. Yeah, I've told this story a couple times on the pod, but my favorite combine interview story, Pac-Man Jones, (laughs) we're in the room, and Ozzie Newsom asked him, grade your hands on a scale of 1 to 10. He looked at his left hand and said 10. He looked at his right hand and said 10. He graded them both individually uh, instead of the hands collectively. It's one of my favorites. Uh, All right, let's go to the next one here. I think this is going to be a fun one. Right now, I have a little bit of separation on my top 50 list between these two guys. I think that's going to squeeze down. I know, talking to folks around the league, they have these guys right next to each other. That's Roquan Smith, the linebacker from Georgia, and Rashawn Evans, the linebacker from Alabama. Yeah, this is another compelling debate. Uh, Roquan Smith gets a lot of height. I'm going to focus my efforts on Rashawn Evans from Alabama. When I look at him on tape, he's a violent hitter. Um, I love the intensity and the thump that he brings when he makes contact on runners. He's a productive tackler. I like the instincts. I like the way he controls the tackle-to-tackle box. And coming from Alabama, I believe he's hardened enough to come into the league and make a contribution right away. I like the IQ. I just think he plays the game the right way. I'm not quite convinced that he is as explosive as Roquan Smith, but I believe he is a guy when we talk about in the draft getting singles and doubles, I believe he's a double all day. I don't think you can go wrong when you take Rashawn Evans and put him on your squad. Yeah, Rashawn Evans is, uh, he just creates uh, like 10 car pileups when he flies <laughs> around. He is smacking people. Uh, he's not necessarily always going to get to the eventual ball carrier. But he's going to make a mess on the way there. He is so uh, just physical and strong and explosive. I was pleasantly surprised how he was in coverage. You can watch him cover tight ends. You can watch him redirect in space. I think he's he's very athletic. He's a more physical player, in my opinion, just stronger, physically bigger, stronger than Roquan. I give Roquan the edge in instincts. And just because of the instincts coupled with his lateral speed, mm-hmm. y- you have the range he brings to the table that's unique. Uh, you know, we've used it before talking about Jonathan Vilma is, is a comp for him, just having that range. I, I think ideally you, you'd like to pair them together. Obviously not going to happen unless you're Buffalo and you took them both at 21 and 22. How about that as an upgrade to your defense? Hey, you know what? We take Holy linebackers cow. 20, 21. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where they are in that range, I think, where you could see them go uh, maybe a little bit higher. But I think you, we talk about having a banger and a floater, and, and uh, Roquan Smith is more of that floater, whereas Rashawn Evans is going to be downhill uh, creating those pileups and, uh, and just being a real physical take-on guy. Yeah, I absolutely agree um, in terms of the way you classify those guys. One as the thumper, one as the floater, the guy that kind of runs over top. Um, these are two high-level guys that can come in and play in the defense. And any, not necessarily any defense, I think – Evans would really be a nice fit in a 3-4 where you can kind of have him kind of be that thumper to kind of come up and take on guards and the like. But I think both of these guys should have tremendous careers. They should be able to make an impact right away. I'm not necessarily saying that they should be top 10 talents, but I do believe in the top 20, I can see both of these guys coming off the board. All right, before we get to the next one here, is uh, has Mayfield tweeted you again? Are you okay? You guys <laughs> we made up. I, I, yeah, I mean, Baker Mayfield uh, tweeted at me based on my original tweet where I uh, let the Twitterverse know that I had the book on Baker Mayfield. I put it out there. He responded, said that I may have – he liked he liked the article, said it was well written, but he said that I may have missed out on his winning, his winning characteristics, much like some people overlooked that with Deshaun Watson – he felt like maybe he didn't get enough credit for winning. And my reply to him was like, look, you won a lot of games. Your resume is impressive. But the questions that are out there are real. Size is a factor. We want to see you measure in. I know you measured in at, what, six foot, what, 6038. 
at uh, the Senior Bowl. That is nice, 215, 216 pounds, which is thick enough to play the position. But what I want to see is, one, I want to get a sense of, is this really what you're all about, Baker? Are you really about football, or is this just kind of an act and you love the celebrity that comes along with being a franchise quarterback? And two, like, what is the intel in terms of how do you see the game? Can we transition from the air raid offense that you played at Oklahoma to a traditional pro-style offense in the league? Those things. was impressive at the senior ball, but I need to continue to see it. And I want to see how he interacts with the rest of the group at the combine. Is he a guy that is the alpha amongst all of those alphas at the position, or does he fall back in line? And how do those people perceive him to be as a Heisman Trophy winner? And I think real quick, just sum that up. Winning is important. I, I do agree you, you factor in the winning. I, I want guys to come from a place where they've won, but that does not the end-all be-all. You can ask Matt Liner. You can ask Jason White, Johnny Manziel, <laughs> Matt Barkley. You can ask Mark Sanchez. You can ask Blake Sims uh, how that had worked out for him. So it's a nice component. It's a nice feather in your cap, but that's not the be-all, end-all on the evaluation. Uh, but glad to know you guys got your friendship bracelets and we can move forward with the rest of the podcast here. <laughs> Uh, Ronald Jones and Darius Geis, the running backs. I think there's a battle for that spot behind Saquon Barkley. I think everybody has him as the clear-cut number one buck. Uh, but Ronald Jones, USC, Darius Geis, LSU. Darius Geis is a guy that I've been intrigued with for two seasons. When he took over and kind of started doing spot duty for Leonard Fournette a season ago, I was like, man, who is this kid? Explosive, dynamic, physical, plays with a nasty demeanor. I think he has the qualities to be an elite frontline back in a power-based offense. I want to see how he catches the ball out the backfield. But in terms of running and running angry and finishing runs and falling forward at the end of runs, he runs with the kind of authority that you expect from a starting running back in the National Football League. And then when you add in the lineage in terms of playing at LSU, the success that their running backs have had, I believe he's a guy that is going to be pro-ready. I think he should have a lot of success and a pro-style offense. The biggest question that I think he has to answer, catching the ball, running routes, didn't have a lot of experience doing that at LSU because they had quarterback issues. Can he be one of those guys that stays on the field all three downs because that is what you're looking for at the position in today's game? Yeah, I use the term a bulldog to describe Geis. I mean, obviously I know he's an LSU Tiger and not a Georgia Bulldog, but just the feistiness that he runs with, he's – he got a little nasty temperament, which I like to see uh, with his running style. Wasn't totally healthy all year long. You go back to last year, Leonard Fournette, and remember obviously the impact he had with the Jags, but Geist was the leading rusher in the SEC uh, on the team with Leonard Fournette. He uh, took the bulk of the load while Fournette missed some games. So uh, I know he can handle a heavier load. Ronald Jones, I just love the burst and the explosiveness, the Chris Johnson. Uh, we've seen Jamal Charles, those comparisons float out there. He can hit a home run at any time. I thought he caught the ball better this year. I thought he was a little bit better in pass protection. Anxious to see uh, how they weigh in. Is Ronald Jones going to weigh in at 202? Is he going to weigh in at 215? That, that'll be a big, a big, big deal for him in the evaluation process. How much of a load can he take? Uh, but, man, I, I love his game. And, and Geist, to me, I think I've used the, the Frank Gore, a little bit of the young Frank Gore there with him. So, uh, I think both those guys are outstanding. That might be, of all these we're talking about, the two guys I have closest to one another and need to sort out as we go forward. I think that's going to be the big debate. Um, when we talk about it in the first round, which of those guys go in the first round? Do we see two running backs go in the first round? Do we see three running backs go? But whoever is going to be the second one is going to be the winner of this Geis-Jones debate. I will say this about Ronald Jones. Watching his tape from a season ago, I wasn't necessarily impressed. I didn't think that he broke a lot of tackles. When I watched the tape from 2017 to fall this year, I was very impressed with how he finished runs, how hard he ran with the ball, his ability to get to the second level, uh, whether it's a clean hole or muddy hole, his ability to catch the ball out the backfield. He looks like those guys that had success this year, the Alvin Kamars, the Kareem Hunts, even the Christian McCaffreys in terms of their ability to kind of play as those quote-unquote factor backs, being able to make – their impact known in the passing game as well as being a runner. He has some unique qualities. I think that might be the thing that gives him the nod if he can put on an impressive showing at the combine where he runs fast and he also goes through the route running portion of the thing and and impresses people. If you want to have some fun, if you're listening to this, jump on YouTube and type in Ronald Jones High School Highlights and watch that dude run at high school. It's a fun one to watch. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. Uh, let's go to the center position, Buck. We talked about this the other day. James Daniels from Iowa, Billy Price from Ohio State. 
uh, two guys I think some teams are going to favor one uh, that's going to favor the other. Yeah, this is interesting because this position has become very, very important. We talked about on the last podcast building your team right up the middle. Well, the center is the traffic cop in the middle of the offensive line. For some teams, he takes command of the protections, alleviates some of the pressure on the quarterback to make those calls. And so when I'm looking at a center or interior blocker, I want to see high IQ, but I also want to see the athleticism and movement skills. With both of these guys, it's ready and apparent. And looking at Billy Price, I saw a guy that was very, very easy and comfortable getting to the edges when they asked him to pull or do movement-based blocking. Felt like he got to the second level. Felt like he played with really good balance and body control. And when you think about Ohio State and the number of linemen that have come out of there, I think he is a well-taught player. He's going to come in and be technically sound. And once again, we talk about doubles. I think he's a nice double. He's right over the shortstop's head, right in front of the alley, gets to the wall and just kind of gets a little stand-up double. I don't think you can go wrong with Billy Price. Yeah, Billy Price is a bully, too. I say that in the nicest uh, words to compliment him. Just grab on, latch, and ragdoll defenders. Now, the, the concern with him on the other side of it, every now and then I think his feet get stuck. You could watch him you know, at the bowl game in the Cotton Bowl. Rasheem Green kind of got him uh, with a clean win where his feet got settled and got stuck. I, I think if you're looking at the lateral quickness and the lateral movement, you give the edge to James Daniels from Iowa in that regard. Just he's got a little bit cleaner feet. He can do a little bit more in a movement run game. Uh, whereas when you're looking at at, uh, at Billy Price, I think you want somebody over your nose that can knock you off the ball. Uh, Billy Price is going to be your guy. I think you give the athletic advantage uh, to James Daniels. You see him reach the three technique, which is the guy lined up over the guard on the outside edge of the guard. You see him do that all the time, which is not an easy block. And I think he's really, really good working in space. Very good working in space. The ability to work in space is unique. Um, a lot of times when you get in the league and you're scouting and you're trying to figure out offensive linemen, we talk about balance and body control, being able to stay up, being able to finish blocks. Can you find the guy that is always on the ground that's not necessarily what you want? You want a guy that is always clean, that finishes, latches on. We talk about playing from snap to whistle. I think both of these guys have that capability. James Daniels is a special, special player, though. We have guys, a lot of aspiring scouts out there to listen to the show. So we'll just give you the one little nugget here when you're watching tape on offensive linemen. It doesn't count if you're if you're finishing a guy and you go to the ground, no big deal. But on every offensive lineman in the left column, just write down OTG on the ground and keep a tally and keep a tally on that. And you'll notice some of the better guys, balance is an important thing at that position. Stay off the ground so you can keep track of that in each and every game you watch. Absolutely. It's a big trait. It's a big characteristic. Talking about Talking about the position to offensive line coaches around the league, they talk about balance, body control. If they can stay up, you can work with most of those traits. But if they're on the ground, it is hard to play with a guy that is always off balance, always on the ground. No question. All right, let's get to the fifth one here. we got three more to go here. Orlando Brown and Mike McGlinchey. Orlando Brown from Oklahoma, Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame, two mammoth tackles. Uh, sorting those two out, you've got, again, you got teams that are Brown teams and you've got teams that are McGlinchey teams. Yeah, this – this is compelling. I think it comes down to scheme fit. What do you want at the position on the outside? Um, I don't know if both of these guys, I don't know if Orlando Brown is necessarily a true left tackle. But I will say, and Mike, Mike McGlinchey looks like he could be capable of playing left tackle at the pro level. He's tall. He's a little erect, upright player. I feel like technically he's pretty solid. When he is locked in, he has his footwork working right, he can kind of snuff out speed rushes and power rushes, has the ability to anchor. The big thing for me is, I don't know how great he is as an athlete. And so when we get to the combine, watch him go through drills, does he have the light feet that you need to be able to play on the edge when you have those guys like Von Miller, Khalil Mack, and some of those other pass rushers hunting off the corner? Does he have the wiggle to be able to stay in front and shadow those guys? That's the big question that he'll have to address during his workout at the combine. Yeah, with, with McGlinchey, uh, when I look at the negatives and start there, the Miami game I struggle with because he had a tough time. Yeah. I uh, got struggled with speed, um, struggled with some redirect stuff there athletically. That concerned me. Um, I do think he's very, very aware versus twins and, twists and stunts. He's instinctive. He can generate movement in the run game. Um, he's got uh, the ability to drop down and anchor versus power rushers. So, I like that. I think he'll benefit going back to the right side. And then Orlando Brown is weird because 
he is enormous. I was around his dad when I was with the Ravens. Zeus, you know, unfortunately he's passed away. Uh, but man, just he was opposite of Jonathan Ogden. It was the biggest tackle tandem I think I've ever seen in my life with those two guys out there. But Orlando Brown, there's nothing pretty about what he does, Buck. The knee bend's not great. You question his quickness. But at the end of the day, he I get, don't. He doesn't he, really get beat. He gets him blocked. He gets him blocked. He gets him blocked. It's not pretty, uh, you know. So it's, at the end of the day, that's the goal. Yeah, one thing I will say, going down there on the field before the Rose Bowl and watching him in, in pregame, one of the things I always love to do: get down there and watch these guys stretch. Watch the offensive lineman stretch. I remember Alex Mack when he was coming out, watching him do the splits and being like, "Whoa, that's a okay. That's that's pretty rare flexibility for a big man." Orlando Brown is very very flexible. Uh, it just doesn't, doesn't play with the, enough knee bends. He's a tall guy, so that's a little bit of an issue there. Uh, just sometimes takes a while to get comfortable there. I know he can do it. I think he's got room to grow in the position and technique-wise, and I think the upside is actually pretty good for him. Yeah, I think so. I think I think when you look at that size, his ability to create a push, and even though it's not always pretty, in some power-based schemes, his ability to move people off the ball will be a huge asset. As some of the teams in the league are – transitioning back to power-based football teams, Orlando Brown would be a guy that they will covet maybe a little more than Mike. Um, I think the big thing will be at the combine, watching him doing those shadow drills. Do you feel comfortable maybe putting him on the left, or is he a guy that is destined to play on the right side and he's going to have to be a right tackle all day? The interesting thing about that, now defensive coordinators are putting two pass rushes on the field, and one of those elite pass rushes is coming from the defensive left, which is right opposite where Orlando Brown could be lining up. All right, I'm going to go through this next one quick because I feel like we just did this full discussion on this topic on the last podcast. So if you're listening to this, this is the first time you've caught us, go back and listen to the podcast that we did earlier this week because we have a long discussion on Sam Darnold versus Josh Rosen. It's going to be one of the more popular debates to take place throughout the draft process, but I feel like we hit this one pretty good last time, Buck. Yeah, I think the best way that I could summarize it is in basketball terms. Josh Rosen is a shooter. Sam Darnold is a scorer. It may look different, but they both are effective in their own way. Sam Darnold is a guy that you can count on. He's a gunslinger. He plays in big games and loves the stage. Josh Rosen also has performed well in big games. This will be an interesting debate as we continue to run up to the draft. And the next one here, again, I think we touched this pretty good on the last episode. We can touch on it briefly here, though, uh, the final one, which I think may be the most fascinating debate. Uh, Josh Allen from Wyoming versus Lamar Jackson from Louisville. Bucky, you have you've summarized this beautifully. I've heard you use the phrase of comparing these two guys and what, what the debate will come down to. I'll give you the floor. Uh, I mean, I can't even remember how I summarized it. But you always I, I say, think... Buck, you're lying. No, no, no. I can't no, remember no, what I said. I can't remember what I Because I don't want to steal it. I, I don't want to steal your line because it's your it? line. Oh, it is the classic case of potential uh, versus, production. versus production. production. It is. It is. It is. It is a great debate. I think this one is going to test the ideology of a lot of scouts across the league. One, when you by the way, about, a lesser partner would have just stolen that and adopted that uh, and, and claimed it as my own. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of friend that I am, Buck. I, I appreciate you, it. Hey, that's I yours. It. I, didn't, I, I didn't know. I was, like, I was like, man, what did I say about that? I, I can't remember <laughs> what I said about those guys. Um, I think with Josh Allen, I, I, I think what you're looking at is a guy who's the prototype. Prototypical size, um, above prototypical arm talent, athleticism. Uh, you see the flashes when he is on. He is ripping it, making these hero throws that are remarkable. However, when it comes down to the production, the production isn't necessarily what you want from an elite or a top five prospect because you don't have enough visual evidence in a stretch of games to say, okay, this is what he's going to be at the next level. Lamar Jackson is a little different, not necessarily the prototype, plays the game in a different way, but is an ultra explosive and electric athlete and playmaker. Um, There are things that he does with the ball tucked in his right arm where he is terrific in terms of being in space, making plays on the perimeter, running the ball, back-to-back 1,500-yard rushing seasons at Louisville, threw for over 3,000 yards in both of those years, accounted for 119 touchdowns. The issue that you have is, is he good enough as a passer to be able to build an offense around? Yes, he get his completion percentage improved every year. He finished this year at 59%. And when I looked at their offense, what is weird, I expected to see a lot of bubble screens. They don't really throw bubble screens. I don't know if he can't throw them. 
they throw a lot of quicks, a lot of double slants, a lot of Y stick, a lot of things that happen at 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. But he doesn't get the benefit of some bubble screens. And then he's been coached by Bobby Petrino. I think the big thing will be Josh Allen is easier for most offensive coordinators to wrap their brains around saying that I can fix his footwork. If I fix this, he can play. Lamar Jackson requires a little more creativity, some innovation, some different thinking to figure out how can I put him in the best position to succeed. I think that is why this is a really, really interesting debate, one that's going to be difficult for a lot of evaluators in the draft class. Yeah, it's going to be a a really interesting discussion when when you look at it. I was actually, while we were sitting here talking, I have struggled to come up with a good comp for Josh Allen. So while you're ripping off uh, your takes there, I'm actually was looking up different guys that popped into my mind. Okay. So how about this? I played against Dante Culpepper in college. And mm. from a skill set standpoint, I actually think Josh Allen has a similar skill set to Dante Culpepper. They are big physical guys that can move around, uh, guys that can make those drive throws look easy. I went back and looked up, you know what Dante Culpepper's completion percentage was his last year at Central Florida Buck. Probably 55%. 73.6. Really? How about that? Wow. So I was like, well, scrap that comparison. That one's out. Uh, then you go back and look up Ben Roethlisberger, which has been a, a comparison a lot of people use for Josh Allen. 69.1% coming out his last year. Um, and again, you mentioned it. No layups in this Wyoming offense. I think that does have a, an impact there. He's got some drop passes as well. Not a lot of separation when you look at their skill position players. Uh, but okay, so as much as I tried to fight this, Carson Wentz being the fact that they were in the same offense, same coaching staff, really, they left uh, North Dakota and went to uh, Wyoming uh, with, with Craig Bowl. So Carson's last year, they're 62.5%, yeah. not a super high completion percentage. And then you look at Josh Allen this last year, I believe it was 56.3%. Again, don't get too carried away uh, with completion percentage when you're comparing players. It's all about ball placement. That factors in drops. It factors in the easy throws you're given or not given. But I think there's a that's not that's not too dissimilar when you look at 62.5, 56.3. Carson at that level that he played at, I think he lined up with better players than he played against. Whereas Wyoming, for the most part, I think you lined up with players inferior to the guys you're playing against. So. I think I'm going to end up just kind of coming back to the Wentz comparison with him and say, okay, he's a little bit lesser version of Carson Wentz. I think that's probably the cleanest comparison. You have another one? No, I, I really don't because his arm talent exceeds anything that I can think of. Like if I were talk about the accuracy issues and I would talk about Blake Bortles, but Blake Bortles um, is not quite the pure talent that Josh Allen is. And then when you bring up Ben Roethlisberger, Ben Roethlisberger had a high – level of production for three years at Miami of Ohio. So I don't think that's yep. necessarily a, a apples-to-apples comparison. Carson Wentz is a good comparison because they played in the same offense. They're asked to do similar things. They have similar frames. Um, and there were questions about Carson Wentz because, remember, he broke his what wrist or thumb. Yeah. There was some injury that kind of affected his senior senior season, Didn't wasn't able to necessarily put it up. And then he also struggled with some of the throws. The thing that might be a little different – I felt like there were games where I felt I sensed that Carson Wentz was the best guy on the field. Yeah. I don't know if I have enough evidence to say that Josh Allen was the best guy on the field in a game against like upper echelon players. And so that's the thing. And that brings me back to the debate with Allen and Jackson. I've seen Lamar Jackson crush Florida State multiple times. I saw him in a game against Deshaun Watson where he was the better guy on the field at the quarterback spot. Now, what do you do with that when a lot of those plays may have been through his legs or runs or impromptu scrambles? But his blue quality, his blue quality as an athlete is remarkable, just like Josh Allen's blue quality as a thrower is exceptional. I just think it's, 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 it's a difficult debate. I think it comes down to style and what your preference is. And when it comes down to preferences, I believe Josh Allen's style and his makeup is going to be the one that is preferred more so than a Lamar Jackson, even though I think Lamar Jackson is a better overall football player. Yeah, I mean, look, Lamar Jackson does some unique things. Um, now, we can sit here and nitpick, and, and he deserves some, some criticism when you look at mechanics and you look at accuracy and touch. 
Um, he didn't finish up great in the year either, nope. but he has had those high marks. I think there's a there's a there's still a pretty good swing there between good Lamar and and, and bad Lamar in terms yep. of just wanting him to be settled in and be more consistent. But the uh, the upside and the flashes and the best games for him, man, they it's pretty special. It's pretty unique what he brings to the table. So I think both these guys carry risk. I think you kind of hit it on the head though in that there's teams are more comfortable with the risk of Josh Allen because they've seen that pay off more. Um, when you have everything else prototypical in terms of the size, the coming out of the offense and the, everything else that checks out with him, just the accuracy is the thing you're trying to, to work through. Lamar Jackson, I think maybe takes more faith for them and imagination and creativity. Um, so I look, I, I think it'll be, I think there'll be teams around the league that have Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. I definitely think that will be, but I think the majority of them will have Josh Allen over Lamar. I agree with that assessment. Um, I have a tough time coming up with teams that I think would pull the trigger on Lamar Jackson in the first round. Second round, not so much. But in thinking about teams that fit, I just have a hard time coming up with names. I come up with the Seattle Seahawks um, as the main one. Um, There's some conversation about the Miami Dolphins and what the Dolphins could do, Adam Gates could do with a creative player like that. Um, as much as I would love for him to go to Jacksonville, I don't think that's in play. Um, so I just think he is he is in a real shallow pool. Like whereas Josh Allen is fishing in the ocean, I think uh, Lamar Jackson is is fishing in a cement pond, as they used to say on the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting that. Uh, how about this? This is the, the biggest feather in Josh Allen's cap right here. It, it's San Jose State. He did not play against San Jose State, and that Wyoming team lost to San Jose State. <laughs> I, I called a San Jose State game against Utah State, okay? Not against Alabama, against Utah State. Utah State beat San Jose State 61-10. to 10. <laughs> Utah beat them 54 to 16. Texas beat them 56 to 0. San Diego State beat them 52 to 7. Uh, Nevada beat them 59 to 14. Colorado State beat them 42 to 14. Wyoming lost. They lost to San Jose State <laughs> without Josh Allen. That's how bad that Wyoming team is without oh. him. Their, their only wins for San Jose State last year were Wyoming without Josh Allen. And they took care of Cal Poly. Hats off to the Spartans. That was an awful football team. So wow. that to me, that's the best thing that happened to Josh Allen was not playing against San Jose State. <laughs> yeah, because we got a chance to see the talent disparity. That's a that's a good one. I hadn't heard of that. And I, I never would have used the San Jose Spartans as the common denominator, but that, that, oh, that I is, did one of the games where it was over. It was Utah State, and it was 61 to 10 was the final. They could have been 161 uh, if they wanted it to be. All right, real. let's roll through these fast here. This is a little yeah. thing, a little best role. Where do they play? These are guys that have some position flexibility. So let's roll through them real quick here and just tell me where you think they fit best. If you're going to park them in a position at the next level, what would it be? Let's start Minka Fitzpatrick. I think he's a nickel DB. Uh, I think he's a slot corner that can blitz, cover tight ends, and occasionally play in the middle of the field. Love his versatility. I think he's kind of a Swiss Army knife, and we've seen more of those players go early in the draft at that position. I like him. I love him as a nickel. I like that. But I I actually have him as the high safety. Uh, As much as you want to play him up there, as much as possible as the high safety. Let him roam over the top. Uh, Let him use that range and his instincts to make plays. And then if you you get nickel situations, you want to drop him down there, drop him down there, let him cover over the slot. He can can do that as well. I make him primarily a a high player. Uh, Marcus Davenport, the edge rusher from UTSA. He's an elephant, meaning... Uh, in old school defenses back when the 49ers were really good, they had a guy that was kind of a combination of a defensive end slash linebacker. I think Marcus Davenport, the best thing he does is rush occasionally from a two-point stance. I want to put him in a situation where he can stand up, he can put his hand down. I want Marcus to be comfortable because when a comfortable Marcus is playing, it's a disruptive Marcus. So that's what I want him to be. Yeah, I like him standing up. He's a totally different player. Uh, maybe eventually you get him comfortable in a three, four-point stance, either one. Uh, right now, he is much more comfortable from a three-point or from a, a two-point. I think you you get him to a three-four team. He's an OB. Um, I like the elephant in kind of that Charles Haley role that you referenced there. I think he fits uh, beautifully in there as well. How about this comparison from a D-line coach? Uh, it's been in the league for a long, long time. I don't know if I mentioned this one to you at all. 
he hit me with Jason Taylor with body type with Davenport and the way he can kind of move and plays hard. Well, he's long and rangy like Jason Taylor was. Jason Taylor coming out of school was real skinny. Though. I think he was like 240 mm-hmm. pounds. But if you think about the way Jason Taylor was expected to be used when he came into the league, he was expected to have to occupy an elephant-type role because people didn't think that he would ever be big enough to be able to kind of hold his own on the edge. He proved him wrong, became a Hall of Famer. Marcus Davenport being compared to Jason Taylor, that is lofty praise from a defensive line coach in the league. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Sam Hubbard, same type of a deal. Uh, what his role is, I'll start us off here. I, I like him as kind of a base end. So if you're a 4-3 team, be that left end. Uh, can kind of hold up, hold the point of attack versus the run. Can give you some power rush. Um, look, if you needed to drop him a couple times a game, I think he could be functional enough to do it. I don't think that's where he'd make his living. But I like him as a 4-3 end and preferred, preferably on the left side. Uh, you know, I kind of see him as a versatile edge player. Um Gosh, I hate to make these comparisons, but when you think about what Chris Long was coming out of UVA, very okay. similar in terms of the way they play. I think he's a little more smooth and explosive than Chris, but in terms of their ability to kind of play rock'em, sock'em, robot football on the edge, I think he can do that. So when you think about that base end that you're talking about, Sam Hubbard certainly can play that athletic background. I love the kid. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Consider it stolen. Chris Long is a comparison. Uh, hijacking that one when we're in combine coverage. That will be my comp for Sam Hubbard. I love that one. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu from uh, from USC. Uh, explosive high motor player. Um, I, I think is one of these hybrid uh, multiple fronts. Three, four, four, three. I think he's best when he's able to kind of stand up and play or play against open ends. Um, meaning he plays on the open side, the split inside, so he doesn't face the tight end. He has a clear run to the quarterback. Uh, we've seen him dominate games in the Pac-12. Well. Um, I dig him. Explosive, high motor, relentless. I think he's a really, really good football player. Uh, they didn't ask him to do this a lot at the Senior Bowl, but I think one of the best things he can do, knowing his background as a safety, is cover. Cover tight ends and running backs. I look at a way that that uh, even backing him off the ball, like a Kyle Van Noy was used once he got to the New England Patriots. I think Nuoso could be used in that similar type of a role. The other thing he does better than anybody in this whole draft is he bats down passes. He has a great feel uh, in a rush when he knows the rush is dead or he senses a short set by the quarterback. Uh, he gets his eyes back there. He can jump. He knocks down a ton of balls, kind of like J.J. Watt did his first uh, his first couple of years when he was rolling, and they were using him with the what the J.J. Swat nickname <laughs> yes. back in the day. So I, I kind of like him off the ball even uh, even more so. I think he's more of a blitzer than a pass rusher. Last one, Tremaine Edmonds, the talented uh, linebacker for Virginia Tech, Buck. You know, Tremaine, he's, he's an avatar. He, is, he, is, can, he can be whatever you want him to be. I've seen him play on the edge. I was at the camping tour, whatever bowl they called it down in Orlando. It used to be the Citrus Bowl. But he was, he was world the, camping. I want to go world, world camping. World camping, something like bowl, that, yeah. whatever that is. It used to be the Russell Athletic Bowl and something else before that. But watching him play against Oklahoma State, I was really impressed with his ability to play off the edge. Talking about a long, rangy cat, a guy that can really line up on the edge, but also kind of transition and move back inside. I really believe that you put him in a position where you can see ball, get ball, whether that's off the edge, whether that's backed up, whether that's an inside linebacker. He is a disruptive player. I want to make sure that I don't put any shackles on him. I let him run free to the ball and make plays. Yeah, I think, again, it's just going to be your imagination is put to the test because I think he can do everything. Um, I, I just like him. I like him off the ball. Uh, I like him being able to run sideline to sideline. And the thing with him, with his length in the, in the passing game, that's a lot to sort through. Uh, when you're trying to work in the middle of the field, he's got a wingspan. It's almost just like a basketball team. You want long guys just to be able to, to fill up passing lanes. It's the same in football. If you get a long, uh, uh, explosive athlete like that in the middle of the field, not only help you with his range with his legs, I think just his length uh, can cause some problems in there. Absolutely. he. I mean, he's a fun player. And I, I do believe this is a situation where when you're the scouting staff, you're the general manager, you bring the defensive coordinator in, you're looking at tape, and the defensive coordinator is outlining his plan for how he would use him if we brought him in. I think it's very, very important that you have a clear plan ahead of time so you don't waste a year trying to figure out what he can be in your defense. No question. Uh, I'm with you there. Speaking of Tremaine Edmonds, gets us to the uh, the next portion of the show here today. 
we always, when you're interviewing players, one of the things we love to ask them, we did in our scouting career, you ask them who the best player that they played against during the fall. So you get a little scouting report from the players. We're actually asking the players to turn into scouts. And then you start hearing some of the same names over and over again as you talk to more players around the country. Uh, I just let you know where the respect level was. And, hey, maybe we need to revisit this guy. Uh, if he was a challenge for these guys to play against, maybe I need to go back and revisit my report. So we had a chance at the Senior Bowl to talk to Tanner Lee, quarterback from Nebraska, Kurt Benkert, quarterback from Virginia, Harrison Phillips, a defensive line, lineman from Stanford, and ask them the best player they played against. Here's what they had to say. All right, excited to be joined by Nebraska quarterback Tanner Lee here. And look, we're both former scouts, so we want you, we're going to ask you to put your scout hat on for just a quick second here. Going through that slate of teams you played against here, especially in the Big Ten, when you're watching tape during the week, give me one player, one opposing player, when you're watching tape, you go, oh, we better watch out for this one. Yeah, I keep getting that question, and it's tough. I mean, we played against a, a lot of guys, but um, yeah, you got to pick and, one. And you, on, you know, as a one. scout, give me one. Give guys me one. jump off the tape, and you don't even have to know who you're looking for. And I think that guy was Josie Jewell at Iowa, nice. that linebacker. I mean, I think I feel like every play he was there making the tackle. He was in my face the whole game, you know. I, and I and I was like, yeah, they freaking four of these guys out there. It was, <laughs> like, it, was it was it was it was really like, like that's what it's like to play against a guy that's a what a two-time consensus All-American, um, one of the best players in Iowa history. I mean, that's um, so that was good to go against him, and um, you know he's definitely one of the best guys I've played against. I have Kurt Benkert here, a quarterback from Bucky's favorite school, Virginia. Best player that you watched on opposing tape this year? Man, that's tough. I think – Let me see how good a scout you are because yeah. I got mine. I'm looking at your I, schedule and I got my guy. Yeah, I I wasn't able to watch a lot of him in, on film from this year, but last year it was Jair Alexander. That was the guy. Is that your guy? He's. I just did him That's last close. night and I just told <laughs> yeah. Bucky about him today. Yeah. He's a stud. No, he's a, he came, so he was injured all season mm -hmm. and then just so happened to come back when we were playing them this year and it's like, great, this guy's back. And he didn't have any interceptions, I don't think, against me. I threw one. I don't remember if it was to him. Uh, but he's just – he's a difference maker, man. He's hes scrappy. He's tough, He plays man. bigger than his size. And hes he kind of reminds me of Vernon Hargraves a little bit. He's got that, like, edginess to him. That's thats what he reminds me of. But last year he had a really good game against us. Um, but there's, there's the D tackle from Virginia Tech, who I would say on film is just the most dominant, big, natural two-gapper there is. So – how about the uh, – I was going to hit you with another player oh, no. from there. From uh, – From Vatek. Was it the one of the Edmonds brothers? Linebacker yeah, Edmonds. Yeah, he's a freak. 6'5", yeah. 49 pounds. Yeah. He, can, he, he flies all over the place. They can move him to nickel at that size, and they can bring him as a strong – they can do everything with him. He's a really hard person to play against. All right, I'm looking at my UVA notes on Jerry Alexander right now. He's a pretty good scout here. Uh, this is the Virginia game. Mm -hmm. um, effective two-hand jam. Uh, react, locate. He had two pass breakups where he just played the ball tremendously. Mm -hmm. Physical tackle. Um, he's got. He had a little swagger too. He hit somebody on a little yeah. peel route and just laid him out and yep. stood over him a little bit. He's got a little edge to him. No, he's fun to watch. All right, we're here with our old friend Harrison Phillips here from Stanford. Got a chance to talk with him uh, before the season started at Pac-12 Media Day. Here we are at the Reese's Senior Bowl. How you doing, man? Uh, doing great. Loved the experience so far. Met a lot of good dudes. What was the one guy that jumped out at you the most? You know, uh, could be any position. Yeah. Um, Shoot, I would have to throw some daps uh, first and foremost to Quentin Nelson uh, at Notre Dame. He was, uh, you know, every time I could, I could, I'd watch their games when they were on TV if we had time, or obviously when we got to that game week, watch all their games. And he works so well together with with Mike over there at left tackle. Um, the combos and the one on ones, he wins very, very well. Um, I was really impressed with the Arizona State running back too. That's down here. He runs hard. Balage. Um, yeah, Balage. He's a he's a really good runner. Um, so when I watched, when I watched film on him, he was one of the guys that, uh, that stood out to me. And then, um, for elusiveness, uh, Sam Darnold, um, you know, had so you guys had him games. backed up a couple times Yeah, there backed yeah. up. Take us through, take us through a little bit of that there, what that was like in that game at PAC 12 championship game. Yeah. Uh, emotional roller coaster, so many highs and so many lows, um, you know, proud of the guys for how we stayed in and fought, but yeah, so many close. I mean, if you could have two plays back we win that game you could have five plays back we blow out that game so um you know th there's there's that frustration that comes with it where you give your all and you're an inch away and you got to line up and go give your all again and I think that's part of the reason why we all love the game so much um 
But uh, I was very, very happy that after however many snaps it took, I finally got to be on top of one play. I, I got a sack, <laughs> and then afterwards, uh, afterwards, I said, I think it was a third down, too, so it was the end of the drive, and I said, I've been waiting so long to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Buck, so there's uh, some interesting answers there. I thought Harrison Phillips giving us uh, a little quick take on a couple different guys, but the the story on Sam Darnold is classic. He finally he finally got to him after chasing him uh, for a couple of years. He finally got him. Uh, but man, it's it's always fascinating to hear what these players have to say about one another. I'm a real, I'm a big believer in letting players scout other players. Years ago uh, at the combine, uh, University of Miami had a ton of players in that draft. I think it may have been Roscoe Parrish's draft class, and I asked him to a man. It was Roscoe Parrish. It was Kellen. Kellen Winslow might have been in the draft that year. But I asked him, who's the best player that you saw during your time at the U? To a man, they all said Frank Gore. They said Frank Gore is the best player that we have ever seen. Frank Gore ran three running backs up out of here. And so when you hear players who have been around other great players single out a player and it's kind of unanimous or there's a consensus, it kind of gets my antenna up. And I'm looking to see if I miss something on this kid. But, yeah, that's the story that I have that I always kind of throw out when I'm asking players because I think it matters because sometimes guys know a little more than you from the outside. Yeah, one of the other questions. Uh, this is the last topic here along the lines of what we're saying here. Other good questions you've found when you're interviewing guys at the Combine that you've, you've found got good information based off of this particular question is there another one outside of like who's the best player you played against that comes to mind that's been helpful for you? Um, a lot of times what I will try and ask a player, the game is on the line. What is your favorite play or your best move? Like what is your go-to move? So if I'm asking a pass rusher like a Khalil Mack, um, fourth, and, fourth and game is on the line, what are you going to do? And I want to have them walk me through, hey, I'm going to line up in a wide nine, I'm coming off the edge. I'm taking three steps. I'm reading what the tackle does. I want to know if they're able to really articulate the plan that they go out on the field and try and ex- execute individually. To me, that, that tells me a lot about what they know about themselves, how much they have in their toolbox, and do they know when to apply those tools in a game. I love having people walk me through what is their go-to or their signature move. Yeah, I'll tell you what's recent for me is I've become big into the recall thing with quarterbacks. I think that position, memory is very important. And being able to remember specific situations and and the details involved, I think, tells you a lot about not only their preparation going into that game, the film study they did coming out of that game to learn what they did right, what they did wrong, um, and their understanding of what they were playing against. So, like, I remember last year, one of the things when we had Pat Mahomes on, which impressed me, I remember bringing up, I think it was TCU game. Hey, TCU game, late in the ball game, uh, you throw a touchdown, you're at the 10-yard line, you end up hitting a touchdown uh, to tie the game. I think you sent it over time, whatever the details were. Um, so I hit him with the specific play, and I said, can you remember what the play call was, what the coverage was, what you saw? And, man, Buck, I don't know if you remember. He, boom, boom, yes, boom. He, he killed it. it. He spit it all out. And I thought that was impressive. That showed me a level of detail and uh, the memory there for the quarterback position I thought was was uh, was pretty important. Yeah, because one thing that we don't have the opportunity to do when we're scouts is we really don't get a chance to really get to know the kid. We may get a chance to get around him at a combine for maybe 15 or so minutes, visiting with them on a 24-hour visit when they come. The pro day, we have a couple hours with it, but you're really not around them a lot before you make these decisions. So the best way to kind of figure out who they are and what they are is to try and peel back the curtain a little bit, see what, what do they know, how do they go about it, um, what is their process for getting ready, and the like. So those questions, um, I love to set them up because I am trying to really assess how much do they really care about the game. Because if you really care about it, you have a detailed plan for being successful at it. Can you tell me that? Can you share that plan? That's really what I want to know about you because football has to mean a lot to you to have success in this league. Man, no question. Um, I, I think that's great. I, I also love, you know, hey, give me your goals. Let's work backwards to forwards. Which is, what do you want to be and how the heck are you going to get there? The more detail you can give me, the better. So uh, I think those are helpful questions once you get those guys in the combine interview. After you've gone through the background and got all that stuff taken care of, I think that helps you learn about the player uh, as well. 
Well, that's all we got here today, Buck. Man, we covered a lot of ground. Um, we've got so many different ideas coming in the future, though. I mean, this is going to be – how fun is this draft going to be? Uh, this draft is going to be fun because we got stars at the quarterback position, but we also have some notable names at the other spots. And as we found out today, we have a lot of debate. And anytime you can start having debate and have conversations and forcing people to look at things from a different perspective, you have an opportunity to have a good draft. I think we will have an outstanding 2018 draft. And those are those listening. Our uh, our partner Mike Mayock at the network just launched his top five list. So you can go to NFL.com. You can find Mike Mayock's top five positional list. Bucky has had his top five up for a while. Uh, I believe you just go NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. You can find all Bucky's top fives on there. My top 50 is up. It's NFL.com slash top 50. So there's tons of stuff on NFL.com if you're looking to get your, your draft fix. All right, Buck, let's get out of here, man. For sure. Let's get out of here. Man, it's been a good one. We're done. That is all she wrote. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for leaving us those reviews and rankings on, uh, on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. And we'll be back with a couple more episodes for you next week. We're just getting started here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.